you have put a new song in my mouth. A song of praise, a sound that resonates, that all of heaven and earth may worship you. We tread the hills to meet with you, to see your majesty in all that surrounds us. For it speaks and displays the eternal God of ages, creator, author, victor. In love, you established an everlasting covenant with your people. And it's your love that captivates us. As children of the King, we rush in as waves unrestrained. Overcome, overwhelmed, that the King crowned in glory and splendor would reach down to place a crown upon our heads. So we raise our banner, the banner we boldly stand under, the banner of Jesus Christ. From dusk to dawn, from age to age, your praise resounds in all the earth. Deliverer, Redeemer, ruler of an everlasting kingdom that cannot be shaken. We trust in the name of Christ Jesus, the only King forever. Welcome to Zion's Redemption Radio Network. I'm your host, Mark Lichtenwalter, and this is episode 493 of Fundamentally Mormon. Uh, Today we're going to be talking about the 1882 revelation received by John Taylor. Um, We're going to uh, listen to a straight reading of this program, or of of this, the text that I'll be covering today and we'll be on pages 18 to 24 of revelation revelations 1880 to 1890 which you can uh, find to read for free at ogdenkraut.com also uh, there is a link in the description of this podcast uh, down at the bottom of the description and that'll take you to the full text to this chat or to this part that we're going to be doing today we'll be uh going from pages 18 to 24 after the straight reading which is about 15 minutes long uh we will go uh, i will start giving the commentary to this uh program and i'll read the whole thing again uh, and give commentary on everything, and then, um, and that'll be the program. So I'm going to try to do that from now on. We'll see how it goes. Um, but we're I'll I'll tell you how long the straight reading portion is. If you want to skip it, some people don't like that part. Some people like to hear my commentary. So uh, if you just skip a f- uh, forward to about 17 or 18 minutes into the program. That's when I'll start my uh, personal reading and commentary. And then uh, if you want to listen to the whole thing, great. I mean, get educated. But if not, then... And some people don't like to hear my commentary, but they want to hear just me reading straight without any commentary. So, you know, hey, it's the best of both worlds. Or the best of one one world or the other, according to whatever your preference is. But um, I'm really out here just to educate people and to help them to maybe see things that they were not aware of before. And I know that um, people are starting to realize that there are these revelations that 
that the church and and I understand why they didn't release them during the time that this revelation was received by John Taylor uh, and these other ones by Wilfred Woodruff, the, the leadership of the church was on the underground. They could not hold general conferences because if they showed up to a general conference, the federal marshals would take them into custody. Who knows if they would even let them have their conference. They might even just, oh, there he is, let's get him before he even talks, you know. So um, there were already leaders of the church that were uh, in federal prison for living plural celestial marriage. People who lived plural celestial marriage before the Edmunds Tucker Act was passed and it was made illegal, you know, those guys, oh, throw them in prison or just expect them to abandon their wives and their children and not have anything to do with them. Like, it's just the the fulfillment of Daniel chapter, I think it's seven, where it talks about that the saints would be worn down by the beast until the Ancient of Days comes. Well, the beast is your government. That government you love so much, I don't care which one it is, they all do it. And they wear out the saints of the Most High because guess what? When you're a threat to the devil's kingdom, he will come after you and he will try to destroy you and to stop you. And that's exactly what happened. So John Taylor received this revelation now, when, when you receive revelations, you're supposed to present them to General Conference. Well, they couldn't do that because they couldn't go to General Conference because they'd get arrested and thrown into prison. So John Taylor and others were in hiding at this time. So anyway, um, there were some of these revelations that were printed in the, um, the European edition of the Doctrine and Covenants, but then later on they were taken out by the church that did not want people to know about them. So we're going to learn about them today. Here is the reading, the straight reading, and then, like I said, we'll come back on in 15 minutes at the end of this straight reading. So I guess that'll be 21 to 22 minutes into the program. Sorry about that. Anyway, here we go. The 1882 Revelation of John Taylor, Part 3 of Revelations, 1880-1890, pages 18-24, Revelation of October the 13th, 1882, given through John Taylor, Salt Lake City, Utah, Revelation given through President John Taylor on October the 13th, 1882, in Salt Lake City, Utah. George Teasdale and Will J. Grant called to the Apostleship the admonition of all who preside in the stakes of Zion to establish law and righteousness. Heads of families and all people to repent and thereby obtain special blessings and promises. 1. Thus saith the Lord to the twelve, and to the priesthood and people of my church. 2. Let my servants George T. Stalin or J. Grant be appointed to fill the vacancies in the twelve, that you may be fully organized and prepared for the labors devolving upon you, for you have a great work to perform. And then proceed to fill up the presiding quorum of seventies, and assist in organizing that body of my priesthood who are your co-laborers in the ministry. 
you may appoint Seymour B. Young to fill up the vacancy in the presiding quorum of seventies, if he will conform to my law. 3. For it is not meet that men who will not abide my law shall preside over my priesthood. 4. And then proceed forthwith and call to you at any assistance that you may require from among the seventies to assist you in your labors in introducing and maintaining the gospel among the Lamanites throughout the land. And then let high priests be selected, under the direction of the first presidency, to preside over the various organizations that shall exist among this people, that those who receive the gospel may be taught in the doctrines of my church and in the ordinances and laws thereof and also in the things pertaining to my Zion and my kingdom, saith the Lord, that they may be one with you in my church and my kingdom. 5. Let the presidency of my church be one in all things, and let the twelve also be one in all things, and let them all be one with me as I am one with the Father. And let the high priests organize themselves, and purify themselves, and prepare themselves for this labor and for all other labors that they may be called upon to fulfill. 6. And let the presidents of stakes also purify themselves, and the priesthood and people of the stakes over which they preside, and organize the priesthood in their various stakes according to my law, in all the various departments thereof, in the high councils, in the elders' quorums, and in the bishops and their councils, and in the quorums of priests, teachers, and deacons, that every quorum may be fully organized according to the order of my church. 7. And, then, let them inquire into the standing and fellowship of all that hold my holy priesthood in their several stakes. And if they find those that are unworthy let them remove them, except they repent. 8. For my priesthood, whom I have called and whom I have sustained and honored, shall honor me and obey my laws, and the laws of my holy priesthood, or they shall not be considered worthy to hold my priesthood, saith the Lord. 9. And let my priesthood humble themselves before me, and seek not their own will but my will. 10. For if my priesthood, whom I have chosen and called, and endowed with the spirit and gifts of their several callings, and with the powers thereof, do not acknowledge me, I will not acknowledge them, saith the Lord. For I will be honored and obeyed by my priesthood. 11. And, then, I call upon my priesthood and upon all of my people, to repent of all their sins and shortcomings, of their covetousness and pride and self-will, and of all their iniquities wherein they sin against me. 12 and to seek with all humility to fulfill my law, as my priesthood, my saints and my people. 13. And I call upon the heads of families to put their houses in order according to the law of God, and attend to the various duties and responsibilities associated therewith, and to purify themselves before me, and to purge out iniquity from their households. 14. And I will bless and be with you, saith the Lord, and you shall gather together in your holy places, wherein you are assembled to call upon me, and you shall ask for such things as are right, and I will hear your prayers and my spirit and power shall be with you and my blessings shall rest upon you, upon your families, your dwellings and your households, 
upon your flocks and herds and fields, your orchards and vineyards, and upon all that pertains to you. 15. And you shall be my people and I will be your God. 16. And your enemies shall not have dominion over you, for I will preserve you and confound them, saith the Lord, and they shall not have power nor dominion over you. For my words shall go forth, and my work shall be accomplished, and my signs shall be established, and my rule and my power and my dominion shall prevail among my people, and all nations shall yet acknowledge me. Even so, Amen. Notes Note 1 Documentation for this revelation may be found in the following places. Doctrine and Covenants, Section 137, German Edition, Salt Lake City Printing 1893, Second Edition, and 1903 Berlin Printing, Third Edition. Doctrine and Covenants, Section 137, Danish Sixth Edition, Salt Lake City Printing, 1900. Doctrine and Covenants, Section 137, Swedish First Edition, 1888, Salt Lake City Printing, and 1928 Second Edition, Stockholm Edition. Life of John Taylor, by B. H. Roberts, p. 349-51. Gospel Kingdom, by Samuel W. Taylor, p. 390. Note 2. Friday, 13, October 1882 and George Teasdale and J. Grant were chosen by revelation to fill the vacancies in the Council of Twelve Apostles, caused by the death of Urson Pratt and the recent reorganization of the First Presidency. Seymour P. Young was chosen by the same revelation as one of the first seven presidents of the 70s. These three brethren were ordained on the 16th. Church Chronology, by Andrew Jensen, p. 110 Notes 3 I came to the Sunday afternoon meeting of the conference, because of this partial sentence, and the balance that was given to me with the assurance in my heart that Brother Teasdale and myself would be sustained as apostles. Those of you who were at that conference remember that it adjourned without filling those vacancies. I do not believe that any mortal man ever more humbly supplicated God during the next few days to forgive him for his egotism than I did for thinking I was to be chosen as an apostle. As you are aware within a week a revelation came to John Taylor calling Brother Teasdale and myself to those positions. The J. Grand Conference Report, October, 1922, 2-3, Note 4. I have felt my own lack of ability. In fact, when I was called as one of the apostles, I rose to my feet to say it was beyond anything I was worthy of. And as I was rising the thought came to me, you know as you know that you live that John Taylor is a prophet of God, and to decline this office when he had received a revelation is equivalent to repudiating the prophet. I said, I will accept the office and do my best. I remember that it was with difficulty that I took my seat without fainting. There are two spirits striving with us always, one telling us to continue our labor for good 
and one telling us that with the faults and failings of our nature we are unworthy. I can truthfully say that from October, 1882, until February, 1883, that spirit followed me day and night, telling me that I was unworthy to be an apostle of the church and that I ought to resign. When I would testify of my knowledge that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, the Redeemer of mankind, it seemed as though a voice would say to me, You lie. You lie. Him. You have never seen him. J. Grant Improvement Era 44, 267, Note 5. On the 13th of October the First Presidency and the 12th Mitchell received the revelation of God to President Taylor, in which the duties of the priesthood and of the saints were set forth. In that same revelation appears the call of President George T. Stale of the job stake, and President Hubert J. Grant of the Tuolumne stake to the vacancies in the Quorum of the Twelve. Elder Seymour P. Young was called to fill the vacancy in the First Council of Seventies and requested to keep the whole law of God as a preparation of his new calling and labors. Concerning the patriarchal order of marriage, President Taylor said, if we do not embrace that principle soon, the keys will be turned against us. If we do not keep the same law that our Heavenly Father has kept, we cannot go with him. A man obeying a lower law is not qualified to preside over those who keep a higher law. In harmony with the remarks of President Taylor, Elder Woodruff observed, this is why the Church and Kingdom of God cannot advance without the patriarchal order of marriage is that it belongs to this dispensation just as baptism for the dead does, or any law or ordinance that belongs to a dispensation. Without it, the Church cannot progress. The leading men of Israel who are presiding over stakes will have to obey the law of Abraham, or they will have to resign. Life of Wilford Woodruff by Matthias F. Cowley, p. 542 Note 6 October the 13th, 1882 We met in council at President Taylor's office. We heard the revelation read in which George T. Stalin, or J. Grant were called to fill the vacancies in the Quorum of Twelve Apostles, and Seymour P. Young, to fill the vacancy in the First Presidency of Seventies. October the 14th, 1882. We held a meeting with the Presidency, Twelve Apostles and the Presidents of Stakes. Remarks were made by President Taylor. Then the revelation was read. George Q. Cannon spoke to us and said, How can we teach the people any law or principle that we do not keep ourselves? Joseph F. Smith spoke upon several subjects upon the patriarchal order of marriage. President Taylor told what Joseph Smith said to him upon the subject, and said, If we do not embrace that principle soon, the keys will be turned against us. For if we do not keep the same law our Heavenly Father has kept, we cannot go with him. The word of the Lord was that if we did not obey that law, we could not go where our Heavenly Father dwelt. A man obeying a lower law is not qualified to preside over those who keep a higher law. W. 
Woodruff said he was glad the quorum of the twelve and seventies were now to be filled, and said that the reason why the church and kingdom of God could not progress if we did not receive the patriarchal law of marriage is that it belonged to this dispensation as well as the baptism for the dead, and any law or ordinance that belongs to this dispensation must be received by the members of the church, or it cannot progress. The leading men of Israel who are presiding over stakes will have to obey the law of Abraham, or they will have to stop. L. Snow said that Joseph Smith said that the parable that Jesus spoke of that the man who had one talent and hid it in the earth was the man who had but one wife and would not take another, would have her taken from him and given to one who had more. Wilford Woodruff Journal, 8, October the 13th and 14. 1882. Okay, that was the straight reading for the program for today. Now I'll get into my own reading and commentary. So we're doing the 1882 Revelation of John Taylor, which is part three of Revelations 1880 to 1890. We'll be on pages 18 through 24, and uh, you can read this whole book at ogdenkraut.com. Click on Read Ogden's Books and then scroll down to 1880 to 1890 Revelations. And uh, like I said, we'll be starting on page 18. Uh, Now, I have um, at Tumblr, I have the full text to this revelation. And uh, you can find that on Tumblr by searching for Fundamentally Mormon. So let's get right into the reading of this revelation here. Let me see if I can. Revelation of October 13, 1882, given through John Taylor, Salt Lake City, Utah. Revelation given through President John Taylor on October 13, 1882, in Salt Lake City, Utah, George Teasdale and Heber J. Grant are called to the apostleship. The admonition of all who preside in the stakes of Zion to establish law and righteousness. Heads of family and all people to repent and thereby obtain special blessings and promises. Verse 1. Thus saith the Lord to the twelve and to the priesthood and people of my church. Verse 2. Let my servants, George Teasdale and Heber J. Grant, be appointed to fill the vacancies in the Twelve, that you may be fully organized and prepared for the labors devolving upon you, for for you have a great work to perform, and then proceed to fill up the presiding quorum of Seventies and assist in organizing that body of my priesthood, who are your co-laborers, in the ministry you may appoint seymour seymour b young to fill up the vacancy in the presiding quorum of 70s he will uh if he will conform to my law now the law that he's talking about is the law of plural celestial marriage that's what he's talking about every time he says my law if you'll obey my law And the reason for that is that he wants to exalt people, but they cannot be exalted without uh, a man and a woman being sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise. And as I've said before in the past, um, when I was asking God about where he was before the Big Bang back in like 
I don't know, like the early 2000s, God gave me this great vision. He took me up in the spirit and he showed me this this cloud of light. And I came into the cloud and I saw that each of the the droplets of the cloud of light, and this is like in space. So I'm in the spirit. God is standing next to me. And we come down and he's showing me these things. And each of these droplets, because that's the only way I can describe it, is an orb of light. And he says, these are the intelligences. And I saw a flash of light. And I saw that one of these orbs split into two separate individual orbs. And this is, and God told me this is the beginning of the spirit. And he told me that when the intelligence becomes self-aware, the feminine and the masculine energies of the intelligence split and you have a male and a female spirit. Now, he showed me a ton of stuff in this revelation. What he was showing me was the beginning of God, the Eternal Father, and how he and God, the Eternal Mother, uh, over the process of time, they helped others to become self-aware, and they organized the spirits that were born, and over the process of time, they learned how to manipulate the elements and the energies. And one thing God told me, too, is that the energies and the elements are eternal, same as the intelligence, same as spirits. We're all from we're all eternal. The intelligences are all eternal, but um, God, our Father, and God, our Mother, God, our Eternal Mother, and, and God, our Eternal Father, and those whom they helped to become self-aware, they learned how to they learned how to organize the elements, and they learned how to use the energies. And in the process of time, they developed bodies of flesh so that they could better, um, so that they could better organize and do the things that they learned to do in organizing chaotic matter. Now, one of the side effects of becoming self-aware is that you're the feminine and the masculine are separated. And when that happens, a process of aging comes into effect where the intelligence didn't have that before. And if the uh, masculine and the feminine are not sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise, there is actually an expiration date to each and every single one of us. They call it the second death. And in order to stop this aging process, a masculine and a feminine have to be sealed by something that we call the Holy Spirit of promise. And it would be one to one if everything was great. But what happened was, and what happened, or what happens is, for some reason the feminine spirits are always more righteous and they're always more obedient to the laws that God the Eternal Father and the Council of the Elohim have set forth for those who wish to obtain eternal life. The masculine spirits are more rebellious. It doesn't mean that they're wicked, it just means that they don't want to follow the rules, so there are more 
masculine than there are there are more feminine than there are masculine now for our earth there was a re, uh, rebellion of the bringer or the bearer of light and truth who is in office the office of god the witness um, it's hillel in hebrew and in latin it's lucifer so lucifer rebelled against the father and the son and basically half of the quorum of the mighty and strong ones and they they rebelled with they actually they say it was a third of the host of heavens that fell that's what fell but for the most part the majority of of the hosts of heaven they liked lucifer's plan more than they liked god's plan because they didn't understand there was some ignorance involved there but those who never left the side of the plan of salvation, who had a little more intelligence and understanding, they never left the side of the Savior and the uh, God the Creator, who is the Father, and God the Redeemer, who is the Savior. And they were called the elect of God. And what the elect of God did was they went among the masses and the hosts of heaven and they taught and brought people back over to the the side of the plan of salvation. But there were a full third of them that would not repent. They liked Satan's or Lucifer's ideas more than they liked what had been established by the council of the Elohim, which was supported by God our Father and God our Redeemer. And they were cast out, and Satan, or well, Lucifer, he lost, or Hillel, the bring, the bearer of light and truth, he lost his position as the God the testator, or the Holy Ghost. And he fell, and his name and title were stripped from him, and he became Hasatan, or the accuser of the brethren, which is exactly what he is. And he fell with uh, about half of the quorum of mighty and strong ones, many of the noble and great ones, and many of uh, the other hosts of heaven, equaling equaling a third of the host of heaven. And another was chosen after the aftermath of this rebellion, where I saw that the Father and the Son... Um, now this is... So that first part was... Uh, something that God showed me back in the early 2000s. This next part, when God showed me this part, um, this was in 2000, uh, January of 2013 when God showed me who I am and why I was called and why I have seen the Father and the Son and embraced them in the flesh in the spring of 2003 and why Jesus Christ took me up in the spirit to the Salt Lake City Temple where I went into the middle tower on the east side of the Salt Lake City Temple into a secret room, which is the Holy of Holies of the Father. Uh, there's actually two Holy of Holies in the Salt Lake Temple. And you can see the windows for it in the middle tower on the east side if you're looking at pictures. They're on the sides of the tower. There's big round windows up there. That's light. That's to light up that room that doesn't exist on any diagrams, but it's there. Um, after I, I sent um, Gordon B. Hinckley a letter uh, describing my experience in 1995 where I was taken up 
and the father actually well jesus christ took me into that room and introduced me to the father and the father told me who i was going to become and i was just like floored basically i was like what i was baptist at the time so a very anti-mormon but um but yeah that happened anyway so um and i've had all of these other experiences and i back back in those days i was like why is this happening to me um anyway but in 2013 god commanded me to kneel down before him and ask him who i was and I was shown the vision of the pre-existence and the rebellion and the mighty and strong ones and the noble and great ones. And I, I was shown that Lucifer had his name and title stripped from him, his authority, basically. And he became a Satan. And the father and the son went down among those who were remaining of the mighty and strong ones. And they chose me to take the place of the witness of the Father. That's why I have seen them face to face. And I've embraced them in the flesh. So I'm like, why me? And because and, um, I know how I how my life has been. It's not been easy. I've like rebelled against God from time to time. Like I said, I... I was Baptist. I was like way anti-Mormon. Um, there was a time in my life when I was like full on goth. I had like 20 something piercings in my face. I wanted to commit suicide. Um, you know, and I used uh, drugs to like, uh, like alcohol and marijuana and hardcore drugs to try to, I was too afraid to, to kill myself. Um, so I used the drugs to like try to escape. Anyway, but like I've had my rebellion, you know. I I've been not not the greatest polished person and I'm still not the most polished person, but when I was like, why are you why is this something that you're why are you choosing me to do this? And he said, it's not because of who you are in this life. It's because of who you were. And when I saw Jesus Christ face to face, he told me that all the things that have happened in my life, he has allowed to happen to me to basically to mold me into the servant that he needed me to be. My father left when I was three and it, at a certain point, I turned to my Heavenly Father because I didn't have a father. You know, all these things that have happened to me were for His wise purpose that I might be molded into to the servant that He wanted me to be. And part of that is rebellion against, um, against the dishonesty of, the, of certain leaders of the Restoration where they try to hide these revelations. They try to hide doctrines. Now, I know that Joseph Smith was a prophet. When at my worst, one of my worst points in my life, after I had tried to commit suicide and my friend found me and they basically brought me back to life after they released me from the ER, I told God, I wrote him a letter and I said, if you'll serve or if you will show me the truth, 
and you'll heal me, talking about my, my drug addictions that I couldn't get over, I will serve you for the rest of my life. And not long after I wrote that letter, Elder King and Elder Bowman in Leighton, Utah in 1996, they showed up at my doorstep. Now, I didn't want to hear what they had to say, but I was nice to them, you know. And I was like, oh, I'm, I was actually getting ready to go watch uh, Romeo and Juliet. So we lived right behind the Leighton Hills Mall. And right by the Leighton Hills Mall, there's this. there was this old movie theater. It's still there. Um, there's actually a bigger movie theater that was being built then. And I know this is a side story. but um, So I went to see Romeo and Juliet. And then I came back. And then... Like, they kept trying to, like, come over and, and say hi to me. And I'd be like, I would disappear before they would get there, you know. And they'd come back later unannounced. And they'd be like, so uh, when can we come over for a meeting? Because you weren't here when we came last time. And I'd be like, uh, you can come over this day. And then I'd be, like, gone. <laughs> I, was a, I was a brat. But anyway, um, eventually I did listen to their message, and it was the first time in a long time when I felt peace. And after they left, I went up and I kneeled against uh, my bed, and I asked God if, if Joseph Smith was a true prophet and if the Book of Mormon was true. And the Holy Spirit came upon me like hot oil flowing from the top of my head down through my whole body. And I heard the host of heaven singing praises to God, which was ineffable. And I was completely healed from all my drug addictions. So the thing that I asked for, God provided. And I know the truth. And I can never and will never deny that. Well, it so happens that... My roommates did not like the fact that I had converted. Now, the first time I went to church, all I had was goth clothing, you know. So I walk into church and scare basically everybody there. It was like it's I think it was like a state conference or something. I think there was a ward conference that I went to. Anyway, the elders like ran over and grabbed me and took me up to like a, one of the pews in the front so I could go to church, you know. Everybody else is staring like, what's this goth guy doing here? And I didn't have any church clothes. And like nobody offered even after that to like give me church clothes. You know, I was kicked out of my situation where I was living and homeless and nobody in the church gave two craps about me. That new movie theater... So there was the old movie theater where I went to see Romeo and Juliet. That was in the fall of 1996. Well, I was homeless from December of 96 to January of 97. And that new, it's not new anymore, of course, but that that extent, uh, the extended um, movie theater that is connected to the old movie theater. Uh, 
which the building's still there. It's all remodeled. Anyway, um, that was like uh, not completely enclosed. And I remember going into where the walls were during a snowstorm and just about freezing to death in there. So a couple of years later, after the movie theater was finished, I later years later, I uh, I went and saw a movie there in that movie theater that I had slept in in 2009. A movie came out called The Blind Side. It's a story of this kid, this black kid, who was homeless and uh, traumatized, who received help from somebody, like the help that I never got, this kid got. And uh, it's a story of his going from being homeless going from a traumatized situation to receiving the help and the care that he needed from this woman who, it's a true story, but Sandra Bullock is the one that plays it, uh, the the character. Anyway, this, this woman helps this kid, and this kid becomes a pro football uh, star because somebody cared about him. But nobody cared about So when I saw that movie in that place that I don't. That I had almost froze to death. It hit me harder than it would just seeing a movie, you know. I almost died that winter. Because I had. I was a kid. I didn't know anything. I didn't know where to go. I didn't have anybody to help me. My my friends that I was living with when I converted to the church and to the gospel, they abandoned me, kicked me out. Nobody in the church stood up to help, even though people knew what was going on. The missionary said, we're not allowed to have people staying at our house. Sorry. Like the only, the only people that helped me was the government gave me food stamps. And I had some, uh, some insulated overalls and a pretty heavy coat. And, you know, I had, had the winter clothing that I needed. And I had a backpack, and um, during the daytime, I, I got a bus pass, and uh, I'd ride the bus to stay warm. Or I had different places that I would go to that I could, like, just rest. I had no way. I had no home. And I had hurt my back. Um 
to the point where I could barely walk. I was still recovering from that. And then at night, I would just walk and I would try to find these places of shelter like that movie theater that I was telling you about. And one night, the places that I usually went to, like there was no way to get in them. They'd been closed off. Like, I didn't do anything to, like, try to destroy anything. I didn't steal anything, you know. But there were there was a, there was a couple of houses being built, and I wasn't going to break into them, but the doors weren't on them before, and then they were one night. And unfortunately, that night, around 8 or 9, as I'm trying to walk 5 miles to this other place, it starts raining pretty heavy. Not long. It wasn't long before I was soaked with this cold, icy rain walking into the rain. So the front of me is completely soaked, and then it started to snow. And all of that water in my coat and in the, those Carhartt overalls turned to ice and the snow's building up and I remember walking along Hillfield Road and there was a foot of snow on the ground before you knew it. I mean, it came down quick and it came down hard. Around 6 in the morning, I made it to Antelope and Hillfield. And there was a Maverick, and it's still there. And I walked in, and they allowed me to use their phone to call a friend. And I was lucky enough that that friend came and picked me up. I was able to use the bathrobe while my clothes were being washed and dried. I was able to take a shower and I just slept like a log on her couch. She was a friend that I had when I was on swim team in high school. And then they wished me luck and sent me on my way. <laughs> you know, thanks. Thanks for helping me. But I remember looking at the ground along the sidewalk that night, thinking if I fell down, I would die. Because I like had hypothermia, and I've had hypothermia before, but there's different levels of hypothermia. And I know the different stages because I've had it. And I know how painful it is to come out of hypothermia. But I was in a pretty bad situation at that point. Anyway, um, yeah, this is why we, this is why I was thinking maybe I should just do the straight reading. And then I'll talk about my little tangents and my little commentaries and all of these things after the straight reading's done, you know. So you don't have to listen to everything that I have to say. But this is my life. And I'm telling you my conversion story, you know. Anyway, I'll get back into the reading. 
So uh, we're on verse 3 of the 1882 Revelation. For it is not meet that men who will not abide my law shall preside over my priesthood. Okay, I got to get back to that. I'm sorry. So here I am going off on tangents. I don't think I described why plural celestial marriage is so important. Getting back to the war in heaven that I was shown, I was shown that there were the elect ones. Now, the elect ones can receive higher blessings because they were obedient and they never left the plan of salvation. The elect ones become the house of Shem. All of Israel is the house of Shem. We qualify for higher blessings. We call we qualify if we're obedient to the laws and the ordinances thereof to become exalted beings. And there's a process for this. It actually involves a very long uh, period of time through multiple mortal probations, multiple uh, eternal rounds, earth lives, if you will. And uh, and you can learn more about that sort of stuff by reading the Sermon in the Grove and the King Follett Discourse, which were the two last sermons that Joseph Smith gave. He talked about these things. But, um, but there were many more feminine who were elect the, than there were masculine who never left the side of the of of the father and the son and the plan that had been set forth by God the eternal father in the council of the Elohim so because there were many more feminine who were elect who qualified for these higher blessings than there were males well in order for somebody to receive their eternal lives and their exaltation that a feminine has to be sealed to a masculine. Well, what happens when there are more feminine than there are masculine? That's when God allows plural celestial marriage. If there were more masculine than there were feminine, God would allow polyandry. And there are provisions for polyandry still. But for the most part, plural celestial marriage is required for the elect women to be sealed to a masculine and it might not be what they want but in order for them to be sealed they have to let go of what they want in order to receive the higher blessings if they don't receive if they do not allow themselves to be sealed many Mass, and you can be sealed to one of of the elect who is uh, of the house of Shem, but he's not worthy to, you know, to go into that position. Then it doesn't matter if you're sealed to him or not. If you want to be exalted, you have to be exalted with a, a man and a woman. Cannot do it uh, alone. There has to be a masculine sealing to the feminine. And if there are more feminine than there are masculine who actually achieve the higher level where they can receive their exaltation, 
there will be multiple females to one male. This has nothing to do with making spirits and popping out spirit babies and all the crap that I hear all these exmos freaking out about. Or even some of these these uh, TBMs, true blue Mormons uh, talk. They don't understand. They, they make up folklore and stories um, because they don't understand it and they don't get revelation and God doesn't show it to them and their leaders don't get revelation like this. These things were reserved. Like, so Nephi saw what John saw in the book of Revelations, but he wasn't allowed to talk about it because it was for John to give. Well, Nephi and John saw and knew about the things that I'm talking about, but it wasn't for them to give it. It was for Joseph Smith to introduce it and me to expound on it. Because I was foreordained to this to teach they who are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breast, those who are ready for the meat of the gospel, for the building up of Zion's redemption. That is my job. That is what we are doing at this time. And the beginning of that is education. So because there has to be a sealing of the Holy Spirit of promise, the masculine to the feminine and the feminine to the masculine, and because there are many more feminine who qualify for the greater blessings but cannot have that without being sealed, God allows this thing called plural celestial marriage. Now, Joseph Smith lived it, but he didn't like consummate them. It's not... Required. I know a lot of fundamentalists are like, well, Brigham Young said, well, Brigham Young multiplied wives unto himself. And according to section 124, if they were not obedient in building the temple, which they never finished in Nauvoo, that Jesus would reject the church. And guess what? He led a cursed and rejected church into the wilderness. So I do appreciate a lot of what Brigham did, but he also, he was not the Lord's anointed. There were no lords anointed after Joseph Smith for four generations, according to section 124, all they who hinder this work, speaking of building the temple, shall be cursed to the third and fourth generation. One generation of Israelites walking around in the wilderness is 40 years, four generations from the time the curse was rejected was 160 years and that curse was lifted on this earth when the father laid his physical hands upon my physical head and gave me the fullness of the priesthood and all the keys to the kingdom and I became the Lord's anointed at that point, which thing I was foreordained to do. John Taylor, Wilfred Woodruff, Lorenzo Snow, Joseph F. Smith, they all had these experiences, but you can be a prophet, seer, and revelator, and it have nothing to do with you being a pre the president of the church, for one. Anybody can have these different spiritual gifts. So 
John Taylor had a stewardship over the church. He was the leader of the church. It doesn't mean that he was the Lord's anointed, but he can still receive revelation. They were in a cursed and rejected state because they were disobedient in Nauvoo. The father never came to that temple, which was the whole reason the temple was to be built. So that he could restore the fullness of the priesthood, which there has to be a temple where the fullness of the priesthood or a tabernacle where the the saints can receive the fullness of the priesthood. But God can call individually different prophets. And that's actually Joseph Smith talked about that in the teachings of the prophet Joseph Smith. How how Elijah and other prophets received the fullness of the Melchizedek priesthood from the Father himself, from God himself upon the high mountain. In 2003, I was, I was taken up in the flesh to the base of that mountain and I cleaned off, I cleaned my, I washed my hands and my face and whatnot in the, the, the stream and I was told to follow this cattle path, basically, up the side of this mountain. And I did, and I continued to follow it. And I went to the temple of the Father upon Mount Vashel. And in that temple, I knelt before the Father. And he put his hands upon my head. And he gave me the authority that I have, the fullness of the priesthood which I have used, and anointed me as his anointed witness. And in that place, I did see Jesus Christ as well. And I t- I've talked about that on this program already. I, I told you about how, you know, Jesus told me the whole reason why I've gone through all the crap that I've gone through in my life is because that he allowed it. He allowed me to go through that so that I could be basically formed as clay in his hands to become the man that he needed me to be. So I could stand up against a massive corporation and against 16 million individuals and tell them, you need to repent. Oh, and by the way, here's things that they are hiding from you. Oh, and by the way, guess what? Section 124, Jesus says that he will reject the church with their dead. To give answers to these questions that most people don't even know about. Verse 3. For it is not meet that men who will not abide my law speaking of plural celestial marriage and the holy the sealing of the holy spirit of promise people men who will not abide my law shall preside over my church so it's not right basically saying it's not right that men who reject my laws and will not obey my law speaking of plural celestial marriage should preside over my uh, church and my priesthood Verse 4, and then proceed for, forthwith and call to aid or to your aid any assistance that you may require from among the 70s to assist you in your labors 
in introducing and maintaining the gospel among the Lamanites throughout the land. Now, let me just say something real quick here. Back in the olden days, the the instruction given by God and by God's prophet was that the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles were supposed to be traveling ministers and that they were to go out individually with the 70s. And the 70s were basically supposed to go before the, the apostles and they would do their missionary work and they would bring people to where the 12 to where one of the apostles was and then the the apostle and the 70s would teach people that's how God wanted it to be this whole thing where they send out 18 year old boys and 19 year old girls or just even young adults this is not what God wanted this is not the instructions that he's given us but it's further into, uh, proof that the church just does what it wants. It has instructions. It's told what to do. They have them written down. They don't care. It's like you're supposed to kneel for, in sacrament. Did you know that? The elders that are blessing the sacrament, the priests, if they are priests after the order of Aaron, they're supposed to raise their right hand to the square when they're blessing the sacrament. If the sacrament is being blessed by the Melchizedek priesthood, which happens, they're supposed to raise both of their arms to the square. The deacons are supposed to administer the sacrament. That doesn't mean that the deacons give you the tray and you administer to the person next to you. Oh, and there's supposed to be one cup as well. But you got your sister Susie Q grabbing that sacrament tray, passing it on to dad, who may have the Melchizedek priesthood, but he's receiving the sacrament from Susie Q, who has no priesthood at all, this little girl holding the sacrament tray for dad, and she is giving him the sacrament. And I know that you've done it for so long, you don't think it's a big deal, but it is a big deal. The deacons are supposed to administer the sacrament to individually. We as a congregation are supposed to kneel before or kneel as the sacrament is being blessed. And the people who are blessing the sacrament are supposed to be, if they're uh, Aaronic priesthood, they're supposed to raise their right arm to the square. If they're Melchizedek priesthood, they're supposed to raise both arms to the square. Oh, and there's supposed to be wine. This whole thing where Bruce R. McConkie took the uh, the section on, like, using wine of your own make for sacrament. Like, he wrote in the section heading, the revelation where we can use water for sacrament. It doesn't say, it doesn't even say water anywhere in that whole revelation. It says use wine or strong drink of your own making. And the only reason why God told him to do that is because they were there. People were trying to poison the wine. They would sell the saints wine and it was being poisoned. So God gave a provisional revelation for the time. 
just go ahead and, and make it yourself. If you don't have vineyards to make your wine, then make some strong drink. What's strong drink? Whiskey, bourbon, gin, whatever you got to do to make some kind of fermented drink that's not going to kill you, I want you to use that for the sacrament meeting. If you can raise grapes and make wine, then go ahead and do that if you can't use that strong drink. So I don't do this, but it is completely legal to use or to take shots for sacrament. Completely legal. But they're going to save some money by using water. So so Bruce R. McConkie writes, This is the revelation where God allows the use of water for the sacrament. And then you read the whole revelation and it doesn't say anything about water. It just says, make wine or strong drink of your making. Now, there's another thing too. Wine is not grape juice. They did not know how to uh, to stop the fermentation of grape juice uh, once it was made into grape juice. Um, there's yeast on the outside of the grape. And within the first crushing, it's already mixing in with the juices of the grape and fermenting. It does not take very long for that... that uh, that crushed grape juice to get to the point where it's putrefied and you can't drink it. So when you first crush it, you can drink it. That's great. And then there's the the period of time where you cannot touch the stuff. It might kill you, but the sugars and the yeast are eating up the sugars and they're creating alcohol, which is a purification process in the alcohol. And by the time it's done, you have an alcoholic beverage, which you can drink and you won't get sick by it unless you drink too much. Okay. And oh, by the way, God told me it's not a sin to drink. It's a sin to be a drunkard. So when you drink alcohol, when you start to feel the effects of the the alcohol, drink something else. Pure, simple, easy, whatever. And that, that you know, like there's scriptures that contradict this like where they talk about like God made alcohol for the use of the humble man, <laughs> you know, but anyway, we're getting off into the weeds here. So, so God's telling them to, uh, to go out and use the seven, the seventies to assist you in your labors in introducing and maintaining the gospel among the Lamanites throughout the land. And then let the high priest be selected under the direction of the first presidency to preside over the various organizations that shall exist among this people, that those who receive the gospel may be taught in the doctrines of my church and in the ordinances and laws thereof, and also in the things pertaining to my Zion and my kingdom, saith the Lord." that they may be one with you in my church and my kingdom. Verse 5. Let the presidency of my church be one in all things, and let the twelve also be one in all things, and let them all be one with me, 
as I am one with the Father. And let the high priests organize themselves and purify themselves and prepare themselves for this labor and for all other labors that they may be called upon to fulfill. Verse 6. And let the presidents of of stakes also purify themselves and the priesthood and people of the stakes over which they preside and organize the priesthood in their various stakes according to my law in all the various departments thereof and in the high councils, in the elders' quorums and in the bishops and their councils and in the quorums of the priests, the teachers and the deacons that every quorum may be fully organized according to the order of my church. Verse 7. And then let them inquire into the standing and fellowship of all that hold my holy priesthood in their several stakes. And if they find those that are unworthy, let them let them remove them, except they repent. So if you're unworthy to hold the priesthood and you don't repent, get on out of here. You know, <laughs> that would eliminate so many ma- uh, males in this church. Like, seriously, uh, I don't want to talk too much about the singles wards and the adult singles wards, but there's a lot of a lot of crap going on in the uh, the single adult community of the LDS church, whether they're young single adults or, or you know, mid singles or whatever. There's a lot of a lot of men and women that should be excommunicated from the church because they're just cultural Mormons and they do not abide the law of chastity. You know, so they ought to be removed. God is looking for quality, not quantity. But for too long, the unrighteous have been allowed to pollute the membership of the church and drag, basically drag down the righteous. Verse eight, for my priesthood, whom I have called and whom I have sustained and honored shall honor me and obey my laws and my the laws of my priesthood, or they shall not be considered worthy to hold my priesthood, saith the Lord. So if you're going to rebel against the laws of God, you do not deserve to have the priesthood. If you're going to rebel against consecration and united orders and the law of adoption and plural celestial marriage and all of these other things and the gathering of Israel, you do not you are not worthy to hold the priesthood. Verse 9, And let my priesthood humble themselves before me and seek not their own will, but my will. Verse 10, For if my priesthood, whom I have chosen and called and endowed with the spirit and gifts of their several callings and with the powers thereof, do not acknowledge me, I will not acknowledge them, saith the Lord. For I will be honored and obey my priesthood. Or so for I are 
for I will be honored and obeyed by my priesthood. So we're on verse 20. I know we're on uh, page 20, verse 11. And then I call upon my priesthood and upon all of my people to repent of all of their sins and shortcomings of their covetousness and pride and self-will and all their iniquities wherein they sin against me. Verse 12. And to seek with all humility to fulfill my law as my priesthood, my saints, and my people. Verse 13. And I call upon the heads of families to put their houses in order according to the law of God and attend to the various duties and responsibilities associated therewith and to purify themselves before me and to purge out iniquity from their households. Verse 14. And I will bless and be with you, saith the Lord, and ye shall gather together in your holy places wherein ye assemble to call upon me, and ye shall ask for such things as are right. And I will hear your prayers, and my spirit and my power shall be with you, and my blessing shall rest upon you, and upon your families, your dwellings, and your households, upon your flocks and your herds and your fields and your orchards and your vineyards and upon all that pertains to you. Verse 15. And you shall be my people and I will be your God. Verse 16. And your enemies shall not have dominion over you for I will preserve you and confound them, saith the Lord, and they shall not have power nor dominion over you. For my word shall go forth, and my work shall be accomplished, and my Zion shall be established. And my rule and my power and my dominion shall prevail among my people, and all nations shall yet acknowledge me. Even so, amen. So that's the end of the revelation. There's some more stuff that you can read, notes and Whatnot. I'm not going to go over it since we've already, uh, since that was all on the reader program. So uh, we'll come back on tomorrow with part four of Revelations 1880 to 1890. And that'll be the program for today. Thank you for listening. Please share these things and uh, subscribe on iTunes. Leave a good review. Um, Follow me at blogtalkradio.com forward slash fundamentally Mormon. Uh, I keep track of all of the information, like as far as uh, stats and all of that go. And uh, just seeing that people are benefiting from this, even if it's not that many, but at least some that are thankful for the work that I do, even if you don't believe my theological claims. Um, at least I'm covering these things. I don't know anybody else who is. I'd listen to them if I knew of them, you know, and I would, I would, uh, share their stuff in my groups and I would let people, let them share their stuffs in my groups. You know, I, I let Rob K post his things in my groups. Alan Rock Waterman posts things in the groups. There's a lot of like pro LDS, uh, stuff that's being shared in my groups 
and I don't agree with everything and everyone, but I think that it's beneficial to the edification of the saints to know what is being taught and what things there are out there. But, you know, some people think that I'm leading people astray. You know what? It wouldn't matter if you got revelation for yourself. So, um, if you hear the prophet, whoever proclaims to be the prophet, and then uh, you take what you learn to God and you study it out for yourself after uh, somebody notifies you, you know, then there will come a time when uh, you'll be able to take it to the Father after you've studied it out and find out if it's true by the prophecy of the Holy Spirit. You know, and that's my goal is to get people to not only hear these things, but to stop placing their trust in the arm of flesh and go to God and get revelation for themselves. I don't care who they proclaim to be. Like, even in the Doctrine and Covenants, it says that there are people who are some of one, some of another, some of Paul, some of Silas, some of Joseph Smith, some of Brigham Young, and it even says some of uh, of Jesus Christ, who are celestial beings. It's because even though they trust Jesus, they don't go to the Father to make sure what the interpretation is that they believe is the correct interpretation of the scripture. You know, even Joseph Smith and any of the prophets, you can hear them and believe them and follow them and all of that, but a true prophet's job is to give you the information that you need so that you can repent and so you can be edified and then go to God to find out if it's true or not and trust first and foremost in God. He's your father in heaven. It's just like with my little kids. And they ask me questions. I'm honest with them. uh, Unless I'm joking around. But they know I'm joking around. But um, I'm honest with them. And I want to teach them. And Heavenly Father wants to teach us all. We are his children. He does love us. Words beyond description. Um... And he wants to edify us, and he wants to bring us to the truth of his reality and his gospel and his scripture and the interpretations of scripture. But scripture is not for the private interpretation of man. The words of Joseph Smith are not for the private interpretation of man. You can get your interpretations by studying things out, but you need to go to God and make sure the things that you believe are true because there's so much. Even among the fundamentalists, you know, there's so many false doctrines that they believe. Um, and they let, they say, well, Brigham Young said it or Joseph Smith said it or whatever. Uh, but they don't get revelation for themselves. And they come up with all this dogma and all of this, these legends and lore about the things that they believe that have no bearing in truth. They're false interpretations of what a prophet said. And it's like Joseph Smith said, that he wasn't always speaking as a prophet. He could have been thinking about stuff, pontificating, whatever, 
and just talking about things and people take it as gospel fact just because he said it well that's sad because there's a curse that comes along with trusting in the flesh and the reason that the curse well it's like in second thessalonians chapter 2 we learn the principle all they who believe the lie and that could be the lie of false doctrine that can be the lie of false interpretation of scripture doesn't matter All they who believe the lie receive strong delusion that they might be damned because they did not love the truth. And I would add to the scripture, it's because they didn't love the truth enough to study it out thoroughly and take their beliefs and their interpretation to God and get revelation and confirmation of the Holy Spirit. So anyway... That's the end of the program for today. Thank you for listening, and take care, everyone. God bless, and goodbye.
Okay, since this revelation was so short, uh, I've decided to add a little bit to the reading. And uh, since it is about the 70s, we're going to read in Ogden Kraut's book, 95 Thesis, where he goes over over 95 changes in the LDS Church since the Restoration. Um, we're going to start with topic 36 on page 55, and we're going to go through a couple of different topics uh, so we can talk about 70s and the fact that they were considered apostles at one time, uh, a quorum of apostles, and had uh, authority with the apostles, but uh, have been relegated to uh, a different level in the church today. So anyway, we're going to start on page 55. You can read this book for free at ogdenkraut.com. It's 95 Thesis, and we're on topic 36. And we're going to start with 36 that talks about the apostles. The Lord speaking to the 12 apostles said, Go ye and teach all nations, Matthew chapter 28, verse 16. And again, the 12 are called to go into all the world to preach my gospel. Doctrine and Covenants, section 107, verse 18. The 12 will have no right to go into Zion or of her stakes and there undertake to regulate the affairs thereof. But it is their duty to go abroad and regulate all matters relative to the different branches of the church. Teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith, page 74. See, the, the 12 were supposed to be missionaries to the Gentiles and to uh, go to the branches not within the homeland of the church, but to go out abroad. They, the 12, are to travel and preach among the Gentiles until the Lord shall command them to go to the Jews. Doctrinal History of the Church, Volume 2, page 200, and also Doctrine and Covenants, section 107, verse 33. What says one, no seats provided for the twelve? Is this not their home? No, their home is all over the earth preaching the gospel, building up the kingdom, regulating the affairs of the kingdom of God upon this earth, and we take them as in as visitors, are there places to be provided for the 70s? No. But the but for the First Presidency and the local authorities, and not for the traveling ministry. The 12 and the 70s are traveling a traveling quorum to all the inhabitants of the earth. Brigham Young, Deseret News, June 6, 1877. Okay, so... The First Presidency, they're considered, they're supposed to be high priests. Um, the different offices within the priesthood of the high priests, those are supposed to stay in their areas. Like uh, a bishop, or I don't know if a bishop's a high priest, but I think it is. But anyway, um, state presidents are supposed to be high priests. They have a, an area. Um, the presidency of the 70s, they're supposed to be high priests in their specific areas. And the first presidency of the church, they're not supposed to be traveling. They're high priests. 
the quorum of the Twelve Apostles and the quorums of the 70s are supposed to be elders. Elders are sent out into the world to preach the gospel, to be traveling, to visit the home place, basically, from time to time, but not to live there. But today, one of the changes, and this is one of the quotes, I want to say here are the apostles in the 70s. Their business is to warn the nations of the earth and prepare the world for the coming of the Savior. They have been engaging in this more or less. It looks to me that our minds ought to extend somewhat and we get out of the beaten track and a little change be made. The following day, while commenting upon the readiness in which the apostles had considered his remarks, the president said he very much regretted that it should have become necessary for him to call for him to call attention to the apostles to their plain duty that they should have sensed the situation themselves without rendering it necessary for them for him to point it out to them upon this particular occasion he said there was no doubt in his mind that the time was near at hand when the Savior would make his appearance, and he trembled at the thought that the apostles were spending so much of their time in matters that should be attended to by others, while comparatively, while uh, while so comparatively, was being done in their own line of calling. He had been thinking of late whether we were justified in keeping at home the apostles in seventies. The way we are doing now, they were really ministers to the nations of the earth. Their duties were clearly marked out by the Lord, and until the gospel was preached thoroughly to the world, he doubted whether the Savior would come. As the preaching of the gospel to the world is certainly a part of the work that is that has to be done before he comes. The president also said... There were republics on this continent which never had been visited by an apostle, and he did not know how the Lord, how far the Lord justified the apostles in seventies, and waiting for things to become pleasant and agreeable before visiting such countries. And that was remarks by Joseph F. Smith, who was the sixth, sixth president. Let's see, uh, Joseph Smith, Brigham Young, John Taylor, Wilford Woodruff. Lorenzo Snow, Joseph F. Smith. Okay, so he was the sixth president. Um, Remarks by Joseph F. Smith about Lorenzo Snow's last remark, The Juvenile Instructor, volume 36, page 689. So, basically, these guys who have these offices are the ones who are supposed to be elders, not high priests, and they are supposed to go into all the earth not relegating it to some 18-year-old or 19-year-old or 20-year-old to go and do those things that they are supposed to be doing, which have been clearly laid out in the instructions given to us in the revelations of God. So, one of the changes. Anyway, for the past 75 years, the apostles have all resided in Salt Lake City or in the area around about it, like Dieter Oakdorf has a home in Davis County, in Salt Lake County, and in Utah County, I think. I, I don't know what county Heber City is in, 
but he's got a home up there too and they're all like multi-million dollar homes anyway for the past 75 years more than that actually the apostles have all resided in salt lake city and attend thursday morning meetings to run the official affairs of the church and their businessmen or their their businesses too um, they have become businessmen, stockholders of corporations, and leading mer- the leading merchants in Utah. All right, so topic 37 is on page 57, and it's the apostles' assistance. It is the duty of the travel. Oh, actually, I got to say something. So, the LDS Church is not the only ones that do this. The Righteous Branch of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints proclaims to be set in order by Gerald Peterson. Now, he died a long time ago, but uh, I think it's Michael Peterson now that runs it. And I can't remember, but it's basically Gerald's son took over and then Gerald's grandson took over and now it's this this guy that take whatever. They proclaimed that they were set in, in order by... Um, let me think. Roland Allred was murdered, and his bloody ghost appeared to Gerald Peterson, and they were both in the AUB, and his bloody ghost somehow conferred keys of authority upon Gerald, and then Gerald started this group, and there was a split off in the, from the AUB, which is a, a fundamentalist church, and that Joseph Smith somehow set the house of God in order, which is talked about in Doctrine and Covenant section 85. And like, they don't have united orders. Oh, they say they do, but it's only for the leaders because, you know, they're supported by the church. And there's like four or 500, maybe 600, if they're lucky, members of this organization. now, And they, they've got two temples, but one of them... I, I don't know. It, they can't have it for some reason. It's down by Cedar City, and they've got a temple out in Tonopah, uh, uh, Nevada. Anyway, but they've got these kids running around doing missionary work while their 70s, well, they do, the 70s do work in the church. In fact, I am, I consider myself a good friend of ben, Benjamin Schaefer, who is a 70 in that church and also one of the apostles of their church i like talking with him you know i've i've met him probably over a hundred times you know and they're good people but the fact of the matter is this god has given us certain instructions for the way things are supposed to be done in any church, whether they're a fundamentalist church or whether they're the Brighamite church, you know, that's located in Salt Lake City, Utah, when they don't follow the instructions that they have been given, they are in apostasy or iniquity, one or the other. Iniquity, probably. Maybe apostasy because they're just, you know, these older men don't want to go out, so they send these kids out to do missionary work. You know, and, and the LDS church did it first, and then this uh, this other branch comes along, and don't get me wrong, those kids, 
in the righteous branch of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, they actually go without person script because they're following the instructions of God given to the church for the organization of the church and the restoration of the gospel and Zion's redemption and all of that. They go without person script. And they're really great people. I really, really like it uh, when I when I see them. You know, they're very bright young men, and I'm very happy to know them. But the fact of the matter is this. God intended the 70s and the apostles to do the work of the ministry, traveling and preaching the gospel. Not to send a bunch of young kids out into the world to do the work that these older men are supposed to be doing. And getting back to the 70 and the apostle on the righteous branch that I am friends with, I like them. Um, but they're the ones that are supposed to be out traveling the earth doing the things, right? And if they have a wife or wives, because they do believe in plural celestial marriage, and they do have kids... Those kids and those wives should be being supported in a united order while their husbands go out and do the work of the ministry, traveling as ministers on the earth, as instructed by Jesus Christ. So when they claim to be the set-in-order church, they haven't met it yet. They do wear yarmulkes when they're in service, which is weird because uh, I think you're supposed to cover your head while you're praying, but there was no provision for yarmulkes even in the time of Jesus Christ. The yarmulke, the history of the yarmulke comes from the Ashkenazi Jews who for some reason made it into a tradition long after, long after Jesus was on the earth. But for some reason, they do that. So, I I don't know. I just, I'm like, well, at least they're trying, but I don't know. It just, it drives me a little bit nuts. If they're set in order, why are they still out of order? Anyway, uh, page 57, topic 37, Apostles' Assistance. It is the the duty of traveling high councils, uh, the apostles, to call upon the 70s when they need assistance. Doctrine and Covenants section 107 verse 38. Because the apostles are supposed to go out and they're supposed to have the 70s assist them. That's the way it's supposed to be done. Quote, I next called upon the quorums and congregations of the saints to acknowledge the presidents of the 70s who act as their as the 12 apostles representatives as apostles and special witnesses to the nations and to assist the 12 in opening up the gospel kingdom among all the people and to uphold them by their prayers which which they did by rising joseph smith doctrinal history of the church volume 2 page 417 the assistants or the the 70s are supposed to go out and gather in people so that they can be taught by the apostles.
And then after they're converted, they're supposed to help these people gather to Zion. Not to stay wherever they're at and wherever they're at in the world is not Zion. I don't care what Joseph F. Smith said. It contradicts former revelation. Joseph Smith said, if they contradict former revelation, you have to set them down as imposters. Continuing, the 70s are to be taken from the quorum of elders and are not to be high priests. Okay, so the quorum of the uh, the 70s and the quorum of the 12 apostles are supposed to be elders, not high priests. High priests stay where they're at to regulate the affairs of the church where they're at. The first presidency, they're high priests. So like this whole this whole thing with um, Russell M. Nelson becoming president and releasing Dieter Uchtdorf, uh, that shouldn't have happened. Because in order for him to be in the first presidency, he has to made, be made into a high priest. The rest of the 12 are supposed to be elders. Once you become a high priest, you are no longer in the quorums of the elders. The presidency of the 70s are supposed to be high priests. They cannot be chosen to become elders again. The 70s are supposed to be elders. They can be chosen to become uh, you know, apostles, but the high priests... The presidency of the uh, the seventies, they're not allowed to because you can't go back and forth. You're an elder, and then you're a high priest. You don't go, you do not become a an elder after you've been made into a high priest. Anyway, continuing on with Joseph Smith, the seventies are to be taken from the quorum of elders and are not to be high priests. They are subject to the direction and dictation of the twelve who have the keys of the ministry. Teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith, page 112. If a high priest should be remiss in his duty and should lead or suffer the church to be led astray, depart from the ordinances of the Lord, then it is the duty of the seventies acting under the special direction of the twelve being duly commissioned by them with their delegated authority to go to the church if agreeable to the majority of the members of said church so they're not supposed to be meddling in the affairs of the church the church has to allow them to do whatever Um, to proceed to regulate and put in order the same otherwise he can have no authority to act Joseph Smith, Doctrinal History of the Church Volume 4, page 129 so just because they have the authority of the 70 uh, apostleship or even the 12, they don't have authority in each of the congregations unless the congregation agrees by sustaining vote to allow them to have authority to set things in order. But today, they're at, therefore, at the late general conference, five men who are high priests were called to act as assistants to the 12. This action shows the adaptability of the church to changing, increasing conditions. John A. Whitsow, Improvement Era, May 1941, page 288. All of the assistants to the 12 apostles are high priests. See, they're not supposed to be high priests. 
They're supposed to be elders. If an elder or a 70 should be selected to be an assistant to the apostles, he would be ordained to the office of an high, of a high priest. That's that's the that's the iniquity of the of the saints where they change things. They're going to change things because they want to change things when it has been clearly laid out how things are supposed to be, but they're going to do what they want to do. That's why they're out of order. Uh, one of the many reasons. Anyway, that was from Improvement Era, October 1956, page 752. So we're on topic 38, the 70s. Okay. Uh, so we're on topic 38, the 70s, on page 58 of 95 Thesis. The 70s are to act in the name of the Lord under the direction of the 12 or the traveling high council in building up the church and regulating all the affairs of the same in all nations, first to the Gentiles and then to the Jews. Doctrine and Covenants, section 107, verse 34. I say unto you, Latter-day Saints, that the 70s follow the 12 apostles and that the 12 apostles follow in the wake of the first presidency. The 12 and the 70s are traveling quorums to the inhabitants of the earth. Deseret News, June 6, 1877, page 274. The 70s are called to be assistants to the 12 apostles. Indeed, they are apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ, subject to the direction of the 12, and it is their duty to respond to the call of the 12 under the direction of the First Presidency of the Church, to prepare the gospel. Joseph F. Smith, Conference Report, April 1907, page 5. The 70s are subject to the direction and dictation of the 12 who have the keys of the ministry. Teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith, page 12. Okay, that's the way it's supposed to be. But today, the activities of the 70s, residents in stakes, both at as to quorum and individuals are under the supervision of the stake president and ward bishops. And that is uh, priesthood and church government, page 275. So when Ogden wrote that, that was true. So back when I was a little kid, there were 70s in the wards. And those 70s were under the direction of the stake presidents. Now, the 70s are supposed to be over traveling all over the earth, not subject to stake presidents. Stake presidents are supposed to be high priests. They stay where they're at and they regulate the affairs where they're at. These 70s are supposed to be traveling all over the earth, but back then, like they changed it and they change it back and whatever, and everything changes all the time, but... Back then, the 70s were considered high priests, and they just stayed in whatever ward they were at. They didn't go traveling around like they're supposed to do. Now, they've changed that again, which is many, many, many changes. They just change everything all the time because, you know, the gospel is the same yesterday, today, and forever until mankind gets a hold of it and Satan gets his little earwig in their ears and changes everything up. That's why there was an apostasy to begin with. That's why there had to be a restoration. That's why Jesus Christ said, I will have to set one mighty and strong to set the house of God in order, implying it would become out of order, because guess what? It's not in order. Things aren't as good as you think they are. The church might have truth in it, but 
It's not the only living church on the whole earth, because in order for them to be living, they have to get revelation. They don't get, thus saith the Lord, revelations anymore, and they're not doing what God has told them to do to begin with. And they refuse to repent because somebody comes out of the woods, like Samuel the Lamanite, and stands upon the wall and tells all these people of the church. I mean, Nephi was standing there who was over the church of his day. You know, who in the world is Samuel the Lamanite to get up on the wall? He didn't have authority. Nobody set him apart. Oh, but he was a prophet of God. And they shot at him. And nobody took him seriously, right? And when Jesus shows up on the scene, he's like, why didn't you write about Samuel the Lamanite? He's a prophet. I sent him to you. Oh, Nephi's all, oh, I guess I should write about him. And then that's how the, we have the story, right? Well, what about Abinadi? He went to a wicked and adulterous church. Alma was one of the high priests of that church, right? Abinadi was a prophet to those people who are wicked and in iniquity. And he taught those people. Now, was he set apart as the president of the church? No, actually, King Noah was the president of the church in that area. Alma was one of the high priests who had already been baptized with authority of the priesthood. Notice, they didn't have to go and repent. Now, it says in that, that portion of Scripture in the Book of Mormon that they baptized teachers and, and high priests and all of that. Well, that's a fact because they did do rebaptisms and you do rebaptisms to be recommitted, but they already had the priesthood in the church of that time. Abinadi was preaching to the church who had gone into iniquity and Alma, the elder, repented and went out into the wilderness and then they did their whole, you know, that's where that branch of the church came from. Well, the the rest of them all got screwed up because they rejected the one true prophet that was really sent to them that wasn't called by a man. He wasn't called by, you know, King Noah. Samuel the Lamanite wasn't called by Nephi. Nephi was over the church. He was the leader of the church. Some some dang Lamanite comes out of the flipping woods and gets up and starts prophesying to the people and they all shoot arrows at him because you're not supposed to tell us, the members of the church, any of these things because you don't have the authority because Nephi did not ordain you to be this whatever voice uh, for the church. And, and luckily for Samuel the Lamanite, he was able to deliver his message and get the heck out and you have to deal with these stupid people. Lucky him. Abinadi wasn't so lucky. I wish I could just deliver my message and then just live my life. But guess what? I have to deliver the message. You know, Jeremiah got lucky too. I mean, it wasn't so great what was going on to him at the time, but when Babylon came in to take everyone captive, he and the others went down into Egypt and they lived the rest of their lives without having to deal with these stupid Israelites that won't repent. I cannot believe that God has given us an impact or 
impractical plan for such cho- for such choosing and presiding over 70s. The plan as God has given is or it is entirely practical if allowed to function as planned. But if changed and distorted, I am sure it will not be practical. The multiplication table in mathematics works fine if right uh, all right if allowed to stand as it is. But if you go to changing it, making it say that three that three times nine is twenty one, or that three times eight is sixteen, and you go and through and go throughout, then you will have troubles. The application of the illustration is obvious, and that's by B. H. Roberts, who was a president of the seventies. So, and you can find that quote in the seventies. By Ogden Crop, page 159. And by the way, go read that book. You want to know more about the 70s? Go read that book. This is just a little taste. You want to get into it? Go read that book at OgdenCrowd.com. Okay, the next topic is topic 39 on page 59 of 95 Thesis by Ogden Kraut. Um, real quick. Uh, we're almost to the two-hour point, so I'm going to try to wrap this up real quick. But uh, you can read all of this for free online at ogdenkraut.com. Uh, I suggest going to 95 Thesis and reading it for yourself there and reading that whole book, really, and then going to ogdenkraut.com and reading the 70s. So topic 39, the apostleship of the 70s. And they, the 70s, form a quorum equal in authority to that of the 12 special witnesses or apostles just named. Doctrine and Covenants, section 107, verse 26. So my son is crying because it's 6.30 in the morning and he is not happy to be awake. And I don't know, he's throwing a fit. Anyway. Uh, this day, the Council of the Seventies met to tender an account of their travels and ministry since they were ordained to that apostleship. Oh, now, who said that? Joseph Smith. Oh, he must be an apostasy because that's not the way things are done now. But yeah, that was Joseph Smith, Doctrinal History of the Church, Volume 2, page 346. Brigham Young stated that the Seventies are ordained apostles and that they go forth into the ministry they are sent with power to build up the kingdom in all the world and have consequently have power to ordain high priests and also to ordain and organize high councils. Manuscript History of Brigham Young, December 14, 1845. Parley P. Pratt further stated that the difference between the authority of the 70s and the high priests was this that the high priest possessed the high priesthood, but the 70s possessed the high priesthood, talking about the Melchizedek priesthood, and the apostleship, which was the highest power on the earth or in the church. Nauvoo, Record Book B, page 226. 70s are apostles, and they stand next in authority to the 12. Brigham Young Desert News, June 6, 1877, page 274. But today in the apostate church, an announcement that the members of the First Council of Seventy of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints have been ordained high priests 
to give them power to set in order all things pertaining to the church as they visit among the stakes and missions, was made Sunday morning in the Salt Lake Tabernacle. Deseret News, June 12, 1961. Now, they're not supposed to be high priests. They're supposed to be elders according to the instructions given to us in the Revelations. But, you know, just do away with all that and we're going to do what we're going to do. No, it would be wrong to ordain a man, a high priest, after he'd already held the apostleship of the 70. Yep. And I can't get into all of that, but uh, let's go on to one more topic and then we'll be done for today. We're on page 60 of 95 Thesis, topic 40, presidents are presidents of the 70s. And they're supposed to be high priests because there are presidencies, right, over the over the elders who are apostles who are 70s. And it it is according to the vision showing the the order of the 70 that they should have been that there should have been seven presidents who preside over them chosen out from a num from the 70s. Doctrine and Covenants section 107 verse 93. The prophet Joseph Smith said the 70s are to be taken from the quorum of elders and are not to be high priests. Teachings of the prophet Joseph Smith, page 112. And why is that? Because the 70s are supposed to be traveling. They are elders. If they have already been ordained high priests, they cannot go back to the whatever. They can't go back down to being an elder because elders are to travel. High priests are to stay where they're at and govern the affairs where they're at. You cannot ordain 70s who have already been high priests. The only thing you can do with them, well, you can't even do that because in order to become one of the presidents of the 70s, you have to have already been an uh, an elder in the 70 apostleship because you're supposed to be chosen from that them, right? So you can't have a... You can't have a high priest become a 70 because you can't. Joseph Smith said you can't. I don't know the founder of the religion, the prophet of the restoration is giving instructions because that's the way he was told by God how things should be. Five of those chosen to make up this first council were high priests. This is Joseph Smith. Therefore, to make the action of the church conform to the word of God, these high priests were invited by the prophet to take their place in the high priest's quorum that the first council might be made up of men chosen out of the number of the 70 as provided by the law of God. Doctrinal History of the Church, Volume 2, page uh, 476. So what happened? They chose these 70s, right? who are supposed to be apostles, they're supposed to be elders who travel the world. Once they are, once somebody is a high priest, they're not allowed to become a 70 apostle because the 70 apostles are elders. So they found that there were five of these guys that had already been ordained high priests and somehow they were chosen to be part of the 70s quorum. And Joseph Smith asked them to go back to where they came from because they were not allowed to be 70s because the 70s are supposed to be elders. 
Anyway, we're right at the end of the program. I'm not even going to do the music today. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Take care. God bless. And I hope that you read these things for yourself. Thanks. Bye.